Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to my Good Nanny Radio, MGN Radio, the best show on Blog Talk Radio for family information and entertainment. Thanks for tuning in. Hi, and welcome to MGN Radio. My name is Miss Tossie, and I'm the host. Um, for those of you who might not know, MGN Radio is the number one show for family information and entertainment with over 30,000 listeners worldwide. I always say, please get your pen and paper because I know the information you're going to get from today's guest is going to be simply amazing. All right, so today is Monday, April is here, and we all know what's happening this weekend. Dare to Aspire Conference, our sixth conference in Atlanta, is happening, and it's for women and moms in business. And we're so excited because we have Lisa Price, the founder of Carol's Daughter, who's going to be there. We also have some amazing speakers. We have um, bloggers. We have vendors. And it's just Friday night, 8 to 10, is our VIP networking. Then Saturday is the conference, and it ends around 5. And it's really a lot of networking and just powerful connections. If you haven't got, grabbed your tickets, you better go to D, the number two, aspire.com. All right. So without further ado, I want to introduce Dr. Jones. Um, she is going to be talking about mental health. And I always like to give all our guests a fabulous MGN introduction. So let me give her her introduction. I do want to say thank you to Jones Counseling and Consulting LLC for being one of our sponsors of Dare to Aspire. We appreciate and we love on our sponsors. So Dr. Fadol Jones is a licensed professional counselor specializing in individual and group counseling with women, children, and adolescents. She maintains a private practice in Metro Atlanta with over 10 years' experience as a mental health provider and a graduate of University of Iowa. Dr. Jones is currently serving as a private practitioner working with a broad spectrum of clients. Among her areas of expertise are sexual physical trauma, crisis, women issues, and child and adolescent. In addition to being a prominent child and adolescent therapist, Dr. Jones has presented at state, national, and international conferences. She's also a gifted expert providing services to families, districts, and universities. Dr. Jones is an interactive cognitive behavioral therapist specializing in reality therapy and REBT. Without further ado, I want to Welcome our guest to MGN Radio. So let me connect her. Hi, Dr. Jones. Are you on? Yes, I am here. Sassy, how are you? I'm fine. Thank you so much for joining our show. Thank you. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Great. Thank so you for let's get. Me. Oh, of course. Let's get started. Let's get started. So tell us about your background and what made you choose your field um, that you're currently in. Okay. Well, you pretty much covered a lot of my background just now <laughs> with the introduction. <laughs> um, my background is I have a master's degree from Clark Atlanta University in counseling and a doctorate from University of Iowa, as you stated, in counseling education. Um, and so for the past 10 or more years now, I've spent – 
kind of developing my, my clinical skills and becoming an educator, a counselor educator. So I do a lot of teaching um, in addition to the cl- my clinical practice. I do a lot of training of other counselors as well. Um, and I guess what brought me to counseling, it, I don't think of it as something that brought me to counseling. I think this is just what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, I'm a proponent. I'm a believer that when you have a gift and you have a passion about something, that's where your purpose comes in. And so I think some of my gifts are speaking, teaching, um, listening, um, providing education, and then the passion that I have to kind of help others um, get to their goal and reach their goals and see their potential coupled together, I think, kind of gets me to what I'm doing today, which I feel is my purpose. Excellent, excellent. And you're right. We kept chatting about your background, but it's always good to hear from our, yeah. you know, presenter, like how they got in. Well, April mm-hmm. is Stress Awareness Month, and a lot of moms and women listen to this show. And, mm-hmm. you know, women and moms have so much on us. It's like, wow, could you kind of talk about some factors that cause stress and what we can do to kind of reduce or even eliminate stress? Um, well, first, let's say eliminating stress is probably not a realistic goal <laughs> because life in general, anything that causes a change in your normal everyday life, anything that causes pressure will bring about stress. So many things can be factors as it relates to stress. It can be work. It can be children. It can be home. Um, it can be children growing up, children entering into the family, changes in your family, a transition in life. There's so many factors that um, can be attributed or stress can be attributed to so many different factors. Um, I think it's important for us as women, especially those of us who have children, who are married, who have careers, or any aspect of their lives, to kind of understand what stress is for you, because for everyone, stress is different. Um, So just understanding and recognizing what your stress level is and when you've kind of reached that level. And when when a lot of times when people are so stressed out, especially now on the news, you hear like, oh, so-and-so was bullied at school mm-hmm. and, you know, took it out because the stress level was so high. It's kind of mm-hmm. like the factors as parents are, when you work with teens and adolescents, are there other mm-hmm. things that we should look out for in terms of stress and, you know, things that can cause them to just, you know, I don't want to use the word crazy, um, but, you know, just yeah, be stressed out. That can kind of bring people to their to their end point or their breaking point almost. Yes, yes, um, yes. I think for for kids, it's really important to kind of see, when you see changes in behavior, whatever that change is, if, you're, if your child is, is normally very talkative and likes to share, um, and there's one aspect of their, of their life, whether it be if it's school, that they don't really want to talk about, they change the subject about, um, or when they bring it up, they, they're attitude changes when you try to engage them as it relates to what's going on at school, how are things going, and their attitude changes, that's probably an area of stress for them. Um, If they're isolating and they're usually not isolating, um, there's probably some sort of stress going on there. So kind of understanding the the significant, even if there's simple changes um, in your child's behavior and then also those drastic changes um, in their behavior. Mm, okay, so just keep a close watch out of any kind of major mm-hmm. changes. In, yeah. And specifically as it relates to, you mentioned bullying. So if you're looking at kids who may be bullied and, and not really knowing what to do with that, I always say that our kids now are dealing with some things that I didn't really have to worry about when I was little. Um, yeah, there was always a bully in school. I think that's always going to happen. But the type of bullying that we see now is very different because our kids are 
bombarded with constant stimuli. So they're always receiving and giving stimuli um, in one way or another, whether that be on the Internet, whether that be on television, um, whether that be through their phone, you know, constantly contact. So they don't really have a lot of time to disconnect and kind of debrief and not be connected to other outside sources. So whereas I can say when I was growing up, my biggest influence was the people around me, my family, um, friends, different things like that. Now I notice that children, um, their biggest influence is not always the people that they see every day. They're people that they can't see um, that are saying things and doing things to them and and affecting their self-esteem and their self-concept and their idea of their self-worth. And I think that's probably the most significant thing as it relates to stress in children. It's important for us as parents to recognize that while we may be giving them really positive um, reinforcement, they may, they may be receiving a, a ton of negative reinforcement from other areas that we're not aware of. That is very true. And when you just to stick on bullying and, and children, like how – like you said, so many factors outside of the home are affecting kids. How can mm-hmm. we, you know, get our kids to kind of have that strong self-esteem so that when they see stuff on the Internet, this person posing nude or whatever, they're mm-hmm. like, no, that's not for me. I think the first thing is actually having that conversation about what the Internet is used for and how it can be misused by others. So that when they see these things, they know they know what's real and they know what's not real. So having that conversation about this is an appropriate way that you're allowed to use the internet, and everything that you see on the internet is not for you. And so having having an open conversation about it, so when they do come about these, um, maybe they're introduced to something that they may they know that you're not okay with. They're okay with saying, you know what, I, this is what I saw. I didn't really like it. I don't I don't know how to feel about it or I have these feelings about something that I saw or something that was said to me. Um, so if they're coming to you, that's a difficult conversation a lot of times for parents to have. So we kind of avoid it, but it's definitely important to have that conversation with, with children because as it relates to technology and as it relates to whether it be social media or just internet in general, kids nowadays are very, very, very inept in that way. They're very um, aware of what's going on um, in more ways than we think as, as adults. As adults, that is very, very true. We are chatting with Dr. Jones of Jones Counseling and Consulting, and April is Stress Awareness Month. Now, let's talk and shift a little bit to therapy, okay, especially, and I hate to say this, but sometimes in the African-American community, if you if you have problems in your marriage, you know, mm-hmm. kids, you just talk to grandma or talk to aunt, you don't really yeah. go to a therapist. Can you kind yeah. of explain what a therapist <laughs> is and how that works? Yeah. Well, a therapist is a trained, licensed professional who um, specializes in different areas, but we've been trained at the master's level um, to provide mental health services. So what we do is we, depending on theories and all of that, we kind of help individuals work through um, feelings, emotions, behaviors, and learn how to change some of those behaviors. So we're giving a lot of tools for people to use to change behaviors and maybe get to a different point or help them through a different transition. Um, And you mentioned in the introduction that I do cognitive behavioral approaches. So for me, what I do is I help people understand how thoughts impact um, feelings and emotions, which then impact behavior, which then impact their outcome or situation. So having individuals connect all of those dots 
and understand kind of the core of what's going on with them helps them change the thought pattern and then change the behaviors that they're experiencing, thus changing their outcome and changing what's going on and maybe understanding that your past experiences are your experiences, but how you feel about those experiences is what is where you are now. That's why you're feeling the way you're feeling right now. Yeah, and, you know, some people might, you know, be sitting back listening or listening to the replay later, and let's say they're having marriage problems. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, do they come to you and, and and you kind of talk through them, you know? Or let's say a couple is having some, you know, some marriage problems. What's, what's mm-hmm. the, how is your practice help a married couple that's just having a whole lot of marriage issues and on the brink of divorce? How right. do you step in and help? The first thing is is actually figuring out what the actual problem is because usually what you come in for, the argument that you come in for, the finances and all of that, that's not really the issue. That's kind of um, the antecedent, so to speak. That's kind of the, the, the symptom of the other things that are going on. So usually there's a breakdown in communication. There's usually some sort of preconceived idea of what your relationship should be or where you should be in your relationship, and that is causing you to not be happy where you are. So figuring out the core issues um, of what's going on and then providing tools for proper proper communication or effective communication, um, effective ways to solve problems within your marriage, um, effective ways to approach issues and decision-making in your marriage. So for me, what we do is, for JCC, what we do is we first find out what the core of the issue is. And then we have to work from there. So every couple that comes in and every individual that comes in, even if it seems like everybody's coming in for marriage counseling, their situation is going to be different. Their experiences are going to be different. So what I do for them and what I focus on for them will be definitely based on what I see and what they think they want to work on. I like it. And I like that you said, especially with marriage, it's like you have a preconceived notion of what it should be and the other party does. Absolutely. That's where the disconnect is. That is so true. Mm -hmm. Everybody comes into any relationship. Everybody comes into the relationship with their own idea of their own expectation of what they will do and what their, their other person is going to do in that relationship. And so understanding that because two people are coming together with very different sometimes ideas about what they want, and what they expect, but they never have the conversation about that. No one ever talks about, I expect you to do X, Y, and Z in this relationship, and this is what I am going to do to facilitate that expectation. No one really talks about that um, in detail. They don't really talk about it until after they're married, and then it's an issue. And then you start to talk about, well, I want you to cut the grass. Well, you never said that before. <laughs> you never said that I had to cut the grass every week. You never said that. Um, you wanted to go out on a date every week. You, these are things that we just did because we were so in love and now we're married and life is happening. And when struggles come about, that's when um, there's strife and there's tension and then you're trying to figure out what's, go, what go, what's going on. So kind of talking about those things and being open with your mate um, ahead of time helps because life does happen. And every, every, you know, every day is not going to be a, you know, pink rose glasses and everything's not going to be great, but you have to figure out how to work through those rough times. And I think the effective communication and understanding expectations are important. Yes. Do you ever, like, recommend divorce? Like, do you ever say, you know what, I've heard both sides. I think Mm -hmm. I'm going to recommend divorce. Do you ever do that or you don't get that far? I don't. I don't recommend divorce or marriage, actually. I recommend that Mm. they do what's best for them. Because at the end of the day, it's not my relationship. I don't have to go home with either of them. (laughs) 
and and only <laughs> they will know because even them telling me things, they're only telling me what they want me to know. So I still don't, I may not know the entire story, but from what I know, I can say these are things that regardless of what's going on, communication is key. And knowing how to effectively communicate and effectively listen um, is important. Because if you have that, then the rest of it you can kind of work through. I can help you work through finding different tools to work through finances and to work through um, decisions and different things like that. But if you're not communicating and you're not honest with yourself and with your mate, then everything else that we do is not going to really be effective. And so I I always require that commitment at the very beginning that at least while you're in um, therapy with me, you don't file for divorce. Uh, To give it an opportunity. So that's not an option for you while you're trying to work through it if you actually want to work through whatever situation you're going through. If If you're here and you're seeing me, then divorce can't be on the table because then what are you coming for? Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Now, in so many factors I know contribute to mental health, and we mm-hmm. see it all the time. So and so is bipolar. You hear this actress was bipolar mm-hmm. and she didn't get help, or like, mm-hmm. can you kind of talk about what are some of the factors that contribute to like a lack of mental health? Um, you know, what we can do as you know individuals for ourselves, or parents, or spouses, when you kind of see some of those factors or troubling signs. I think um, two parts to that question. Well, one thing is the factors that contribute to mental health. Um, like you said, there's so many things that contribute. So one thing is we have to be knowledgeable knowledgeable about what mental health is and what that means um, and how we maintain it. So I think knowledge is the first thing that we have to be aware of or we have to be um, cognizant of. And then the other part of it is what do you do with what you know? Okay, I know that depression is a part of mental health. I know that anxiety is a part of mental health. I know the signs. I've I've heard about the signs of it. I think this is something that I have. What do I do now? Where do I go? So you have to know what resources are available for you. And I think knowledge decreases the stigma that's attached to to mental health. You mentioned earlier about um, in society, you know, depending on your culture, you may talk to your grandmother or talk to, you know, some wise person in your family about what's going on in your relationship or what's going on in your life, but you don't really go outside of the family to talk about it. And I think removing that stigma from what mental health is, just like we remove the stigma from cancer, we remove the stigma from all these other physical um, illnesses that people have, we have to do the same thing in removing the stigma as it relates to mental health. And a part of that is education. The more we know about cancer and how we, how we, um, how people get cancer and different things to prevent, if there's a preventative method and, and early detection and all these different things, we know now. So when we hear that someone has cancer, we're very, very um, empathetic to that. And we want to make sure that we know as much as we want as, as we can about it so that we can help those individuals. I think mental health is the same way. We have to know about mental health, know what it looks like, know how to prevent or intervene, and be open when when you see someone struggling with something um, like mental health, whether it be depression or bipolar, schizophrenia, or any of those things, we have to be willing to say, this person needs help. Let's see what we can do to help this person, as opposed to, um, I always say, putting them in the back room and not really talking about it, whether that means physically the back room or the back room of our minds. Very, very true. And, you know, speaking of bipolar, I want you to kind of explain what that is. Because um, we always, I mean, Empire, there's a show on, um, I think it's, MB, I don't know what, but Empire is a show, Fox, yes. 
and yes, they address yes. the bipolar. And I love that because it's something that I always hear that plagues a lot of African Americans and people in general. And they just mm-hmm. all I know is mood swings. But can you kind of explain what bipolar is and what some of the signs to being bipolar is? Right. So one thing is interesting is that seeing bipolar disorder on um, mainstream TV was for me as a therapist, I was very happy. Um, because it's something that is never discussed as that yes. in that way. Um, it's always discussed or viewed very disparagingly. And so for me to see it um, kind of play out that way and kind of the effects of the family and all of that, I think for me anyway, it was very good to see. But um, the, the simplest way I think to describe bipolar is um, it, it's a mental disorder that affects mood. So you will have someone who has extreme series of highs, which we would call manic. It used to be called manic depressive disorder, um, and now we call it bipolar disorder. So someone will have extreme highs, uh, which is their manic phase, um, and then they would have extreme lows, which is the depression. And it really is one of those mental health disorders that requires not just the, um, as we say, talk therapy, um, so it would require more than just seeing a therapist like myself. I would be um, partnering with a psychiatrist because there were, there's a medication that the individual would need to have in order to balance the chemicals that cause um, those extreme highs and extreme lows. So, oh, um, okay. which is why if you're taking, if, if a client is taking the medication and seeing the therapist as they should, um, usually they will go asymptomatic for quite some time. But if something happens, if there is a traumatic event, if there is a, um, a, a, a space where they're not or a time frame when they're not taking their medication uh, or not following their therapist orders, you'll see, um, you'll see a manifestation of their disease. You'll see those chemicals really be out of, out of whack, so to speak, and they're not able to kind of control the, the low, low depressions or those extreme highs. Um, extreme. So that's, that's kind of the gist of yeah, yeah. Of what, of I like I like that you explained that. I think it will help. Now, what about schizophrenia? I just want to mm-hmm. some terms that we hear all the time. Like what's schizophrenia? Right. And again, the same thing in layman's terms. So when people right. might be experimenting, like, wow, you know, I didn't know that. Right. Well, schizophrenia is a bit different um, just because schizophrenia can be manifested in a lot of different ways. So I'm very, um, I'm careful when I describe schizophrenia, but it is another chemical imbalance that um, a lot of individuals go through. I won't say a lot, but, yeah, I'll say a lot. A lot of individuals go through it. It's definitely a chemical imbalance. There is not a cure for schizophrenia, just like there's no cure for bipolar. Um, what usually happens with individuals suffering from schizophrenia is that they will go probably half of their lives and not really have any symptoms. And then between ages maybe 18 and 24 is usually the onset, and that's where you will see a change in behavior, a change and ability to focus, a change in ability to function um, appropriately. Um, there will, you know, individual, individuals will experience auditory and visual hallucinations that are definitely uncontrollable. And um, unfortunately, many, many, many people who have suffered from schizophrenia have not um, been able to take 
the auditory and visual hallucinations because they're so negative, they're so damaging, and they really do drain on an individual's um, psyche, so to speak. They drain on their, their self-esteem, they drain on their self-concept, um, and it really does debilitate individuals who suffer from it. It is very much a debilitating um, mental health disorder, and um, oftentimes you hear of individuals who may be homeless and they're suffering from some sort of mental health issue and you're not really sure what's going on and you see them and they look like they're mumbling to themselves or something like that. And I will say that I could probably look at these people and say, I bet they're suffering from some sort of mental health issue, mental health disorder that has not been treated and someone has left them to themselves or put them in the back room, so to speak, and now they are not able to function. Um, and I mean, we've seen this kind of portrayed on television often. Um, I think Jamie Foxx was yeah. in the movie yeah. The Soloist, where yeah. he played it in the yeah. movie. He was highly gifted, highly intelligent, but his onset for schizophrenia came in, and he was not able to function um, in the confines, so to speak, of, of society. Yes, I remember. I actually saw that movie. It was. I thought again, any movies that kind of bring these mental health issues to the forefront. I think are very, very important. Now, a lot of parents and a lot of moms are always saying, oh, my kid has ADHD. My kid is uh, Mm -hmm. always jumping off the wall and I give them drugs. Is that Mm -hmm. the only, first of all, maybe explain what what ADHD is. And is that the only solution is for them, those young, I mean, young kids Mm -hmm. I hear are on drugs. Mm -hmm. Well, ADHD is, um, ADHD is, um, is an attention deficit hyperactive disorder. So it just really simply means that an individual, and not only children have this, adults have this as well. We just as adults are sometimes better able to mask our symptoms and we're able to mask the behaviors that come with it a little bit better than than children are. But really what it is is when you're not able to focus and you're not able to concentrate and thoughts are usually, excuse me, thoughts are usually jumbled so even though you are, you can think pretty clearly, the ability to sit um, and focus for a, for a long period of time isn't there. And I think that the question of whether or not medicine is the only um, treatment, I don't know if medicine is the only treatment, but I know that there are times when medicine is the best treatment, but I would encourage parents to make sure that they've done their research on the medication that has been um, has been suggested to them and find the one that works best for their child um, and find the right regimen that works best for their child. Um, if you know that your child is smart and highly capable, gifted even, but they don't have the ability within themselves to actually sit and focus enough so someone else, the school or whoever, can see those gifts, then you may want to consider what can I do if I've done everything else, if I've done a lot of the home treatments, if I've done a lot of the different things at home to kind of keep them together and it's still not working. It literally can be can be almost like torture for the kid because they, they're really trying. They're trying to focus. They're trying to get things together. They know what they can do. And it's frustrating just not being able to get there. And so medication can help. Um, I I tend to say that there can be an overuse of medication, not by parents, but oftentimes by um, sometimes school districts will overuse the the suggestion of medication. Um, 
But I do think that there's a place for it all. I think there's a place for the medication. I think that I've seen where it helps a lot of children. Um, as long as parents are kind of aware of what, what's going on and parents are aware of how to use it so that it works best for their child. And every yep. child is going making to be different. Yes, yes. Every child is going to be different. And I'm seeing a, it seems to be, at least my friends that talk about it, it's like a lot of boys have, they say, oh, well, he wants to fill in class. And sometimes I'm like, maybe the boy just needs to play outside and, you know, mm-hmm. and you know have a longer don't. recess. Mm-hmm. And with now with there not being a lot of recess and playtime in the school setting, that also impacts it. And so sometimes it does help to have some extracurricular activities, whether it be basketball, football, karate, whatever it is, so they can kind of exert some of that energy. But then that, that takes care of the energy part of it, but that doesn't take care, take care of the focus concern. So then there's That's still true. that ability to focus on the work that they're doing, what's right in front, what's right in front of them, or their ability to hear what's going on, and then comprehend that enough so that they can then do the work that they need to do in class. So that's the piece of it. It's the attention part of it that um, is that requires the, the, the most attention, so to speak. Um, the hyper part, we can get the energy out, but once that energy is out, if it ever gets out, you know what I mean? Because there's some kids where you can let them do all kinds of different things, different activities, and they, they're still – completely hyper, and so they still need some assistance. Um, And, again, I think, like I said, every child is going to be different. Every situation is going to be different. So knowing your child, um, understanding what ADHD is and what the difference between ADHD and ADD. Um, And ADD just means that there's an attention deficit without the hyperactivity. Mm, And so understanding the differences between the two and how the medicine interacts with the child, too. Just like as adults, all medicine doesn't work for us because it works for my brother doesn't mean it's going to work for me. If it works for my sister doesn't mean it's going to work for me. The same thing goes for children and the medications that are used for um, ADD and ADHD. And ADHD. Wow. We, I'm learning and I love it. We have time always flies. We have about 10 more minutes, but um, okay. we are live with Dr. Jones. Um, get your mind right. Keys to mental health. And we got to pay some bills, but we'll be back in less than one minute. So, Dr. Jones, hold tight. And we'll be well, right Hair Yum is the fastest growing vegan hair care product on the market. Hair Yum can transform your hair with one wash. Cleanse with no harsh chemicals, sulfates, or detergents. The Hair Yum collection is available now at HairYum.com. Take the challenge. Go vegan. Get Hair Yum at HairYum.com. That's H-A-I-R-Y-U-M.com. Your hair will thank you for it. Save money today, MrsCoupon.com. Save money tomorrow, MrsCoupon.com. Save money every day, MrsCoupon.com. New coupons added daily. MrsCoupon.com has hundreds of food coupons, beverage coupons, household items coupons, and more. Much more. MrsCoupon.com. Save money today, tomorrow, and every day. That's www.MrsCoupon.com. MrsCoupon.com. Okay, we are back, um, MGM Radio, chatting with Dr. Jones. Um, now, Dr. Jones, I'm talking about mental health, and this month is Stress Awareness Month, April. Mm-hmm. So, Dr. Jones, before we go, I just want to talk about your practice. Like, um, okay. 
we talked about mental health and your expert. I mean, she has every certification behind her name. (laughs) But, you know, (laughs) but can you say, you know, for that person, woman, man, whoever is listening, that maybe is like, yeah, you know what, I think I might want to come in and chat with Dr. Jones. Can you talk about your practice, what services you offer, prices? Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, Jones Counseling Consulting is a private practice mental health facility or agency, and we are located right downtown um, in the Buckhead area of Atlanta um, off of Beaufort Highway. And so we provide mental health counseling for um, individuals surviving trauma, um, experiencing currently experiencing trauma, and that trauma can be physical, um, emotional, mental, or sexual abuse trauma. Um, in addition, um, we also see children who are experiencing trauma. Um, a lot of women who are dealing with transitions, whether it be relationship transition, job transition, life transitions, um, we deal with children who are also experiencing that. Um, we look a lot at children who are having issues as it relates to their academic development. And those academic developments may be impacted by some emotional and social issues. So we definitely work with those children as well. Um, I'm also a counselor educator, as I stated earlier. So I do a lot of training, a lot of clinical training. Um, You mentioned all those um, certifications. I'm a approved clinical supervisor. So I provide clinical supervision for individuals who are seeking licensure in the state of Georgia and also for um, students who may be in their fieldwork training portion of their degree and their master's degree. Um, I assist with that as well. Um, I do consultations for education um, organizations or agencies. So if that's school districts, I do a lot of um, introduction of gifted and how to identify gifted gifted students. Um, that's what I've been working on a lot um, since I got my doctorate degree. So that is that bringing the clinical in with the educational piece because I feel like school children deal with so many different things that understanding the mental health aspect of what they may be going through is important for schools. And so I do a lot of that training as well, seminars and training in that area. That's kind of what we do at JCC. Wow, (laughs) that's a lot. (laughs) It's a lot. It's a lot, but it's so needed, though. It it really is needed. It really is needed. Now, this is a, I guess, a, a tough topic to talk about. The mm-hmm. suicide. Um, yeah. You know, a lot of parents have experienced. You know, like I said, some the or know somebody that maybe have taken their life prematurely. Um, are okay. there any warning signs or things that parents or even friends, spouse, or to do to kind of help prevent? that, you know, suicide, taking one's life prematurely. I think you made a really good point at the beginning. Um, It's such a hard thing to think about, and so we kind of don't want to think about it. We think it's not going to happen to us. So we we kind of sometimes turn a blind ear, hoping that that's not what we see. But I think it's really important for us to understand that if that is what we think we see, we have to make sure that we're stepping in and helping those loved ones through that rough time. Um, But things that you want to look for are significant, like with anything else, significant changes in behavior. Um, You want to look for um, isolation when individuals are beginning to isolate drastically or dramatically um, from their life. If they're not going to work, if they're not interacting with their children, not interacting with their family the way they usually do. Um, If they've had severe depression, clinical, clinical depression for a long period of time and it's gone untreated, And so they're in a space of despair, um, and there's a loss of hopelessness, and they 
they're not able to kind of find the joy. You don't see the light in someone's eyes. That's something to keep in mind. Um, and as hard as it may be, it's okay to ask that question. Um, I know that you're really sad. I can tell that you're not feeling really well. Have you ever, you know, are, are you happy? Because we kind of think if we bring it up, then that puts it in their head, right? No, it's, if it's there, it's there. So if you bring it up, that lets them know that you're paying attention, and it gives them, sometimes it gives them that little bit that someone's actually paying attention and someone cares about me. Because when individuals um, complete suicides, it's because they are in a space where they feel like no one cares about them and they're not able to kind of get themselves back together. And so we have to be very careful in making sure that we let individuals who are experiencing those deep depressions and those deep bouts of depressions, because clinical depression is a serious thing that millions of individuals deal with every day, that we have to make sure that we are connecting with them and asking that question, have you ever thought about hurting yourself? I know that you've been sad for a really long time. I know that you've been dealing with depression, and I see that you're trying to get out of it, but have you ever thought about hurting yourself? And if you ever do, I'm here for you. Even that little gesture for some people really lets them know that they have someone that they can actually call. Um, And so I think being open to that conversation and not being afraid of it ourselves really does help because we get really scared and really – Anxious when it comes to suicide, we think that I don't want to bring it up because they may not be thinking about it. Well, if they're already thinking about it, you bringing it up just lets them know that you're connected to them in some way, that you're with them. And so that helps them in, in some way. And making sure that you get them the help that they need. If they're not able to, to, to get the help themselves, get them the help they need so they can see a professional and be evaluated. And the last, because you mentioned depression, and I wanted, because this one we hear about, I mean, pharmacists all over say the number one drug that they prescribe is this anti-depression. Can you just high level mm-hmm. talk about what is the, it's not just, oh, you sad girl, get over it. <laughs> no, it's, 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 a lot, it's a little bit more. <laughs> it's a little bit more than just being sad. It's the, it's the, um, it's the depth of the sadness. It's the extent of the sadness. Um it is the inability, when I hear people say that just getting out of bed for them is a struggle, um, literally it hurts to get out of bed, that kind of depression, um, those things are signs for me that there's a, there's a clinical depression going on um, that may need to be addressed. Again, it's, one, it's much like we talked about schizophrenia and bipolar disorder, clinical depression is a chemical imbalance. These are imbalances in the brain that prevent us from being able to function mentally in a healthy way. And so when we are tapping into that and we recognize that and we get assistance for that, that kind of helps balance us off and we can then do better um, and we can feel better about ourselves mentally. Um, and so signs of that are the aching, um, the, the, either the inability to sleep, changes in sleep patterns, whether you can't sleep or you sleep too much. Um, so if someone is has insomnia for long periods of time, they're very sad, they're not really engaged, again, they can't see that joy in life and you don't see the light in their eyes. Um, and they seem to be very negative. Their talk for themselves and for others is very negative. That's the sign that there may be um, some concern as it relates to depression. That doesn't mean that they absolutely are clinically depressed. But that means that there may be some signs of. I I think this information is so powerful and it's going to help so many people. Um, Again, April is Stress Awareness Month. Again, Mm -hmm. um, Dr. Jones, give out the website to your practice, the contact information where people can get a hold of you. 
Absolutely. So the website for Jones Counseling Consulting is jonescounselingconsulting.com. No and, just jonescounselingconsulting.com. Telephone number is 678-306-6297. And all contact information, fee assessments, and everything is located on the website. Excellent, excellent. Well, mm-hmm. thank you so much for being a guest on MGM Radio. I think this was thank very, you so very... much. It's been my pleasure. Yes, this was very informative. And, um, again, thank you so much for your time, Dr. Jones. Thank you for having me. Excellent, excellent. Well, again, we're wrapping up another show on our podcast, MGM Radio. And, again, you can follow MGM Radio on Blog Talk Radio to stay abreast of all our amazing shows and hope to see everyone at our conference this weekend in Atlanta, Dare to Aspire. Thank you so much, and have a great night. Bye.